Hey, Happy New Year. My name is Fernie, and I'm the pastor here at Mid-City Church. I hope I hope that you all had a great Christmas and that you ended the year on a high note. And I want to thank you for graciously allowing us to take a couple of weeks off to rest, spend some time with family and friends, and regather our thoughts as we prepared for this second half of Season 2 of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. So today we begin a series based on the book of Ruth. And I have to tell you, I have been really excited about this series since we first placed it on the calendar. Back when I was in seminary, I had to create a Bible study based on the book of Ruth. And since then, I fell in love with this book and in love with this story. And there is so much to unpack and so much to discover in these four chapters. It's truly an amazing story. And uh, my hope is that uh, you will fall in love with this too. I'll tell you though, before we start this series, if you haven't listened to the episode before this, where my friend, my friend Catherine shares a message, you're going to want to go listen to it because it speaks a lot into this week's message. It'll all make sense once you listen to both of them. So here's how it's going to work. It's going to be a little different. Each week, we'll tackle one chapter, a different chapter, and, and, and we'll dive into the heart of that chapter. So we'll look at like kind of uh, overarching themes, and then we'll, look, we'll dive deep into one theme. Unfortunately, there's too much in each chapter for us to cover in each sermon cast. So we'll do this quick overview of the chapter, and then again, like I said, focus on a specific theme or a specific heart of the chapter. And my hope is that uh, by getting a glimpse of the beauty of this book, you will want to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into all the beautiful messages that this story has to offer. So you ready to get started? Let's go. So if you've been listening to our sermon cast regularly, you probably know the general format of each episode. We're going to change things up a little bit for today's episode, though. In order to give you a glimpse as to how much there is to uncover in this book, I want to start off by reading through the story and pointing out some very important things that are in this story. So let's start where every story begins at the beginning. Here's how Ruth chapter one begins. During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem to Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. Now, right off the bat, there are important details to know. So first, we are told that this story takes place, and I quote, during the days when the judges ruled. Now, if you don't know much about the Old Testament and the Bible, let me give you a quick insight as to why this is so important, so why this phrase is so important. The time of the judges was a season in the life of the Israelite people where they really struggled to be faithful to God. Over and over and over again, they would remember God and place all of their trust in God, then slowly they would forget. And this pattern of forgetting would lead to uh, turmoil among each other and always uh, to war with their enemies. Now, because of this pattern, which was endless, it seemed endless at least, God would raise up judges or people that would rise to power. And that judge, sometimes mostly men, sometimes women, would remind the Israelite people about what God had done for them and help the people turn back to God. And when they did this, it would lead the people... um, um, 
back to God and stuff would get restored. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites would soon forget and the whole story would start all over again. They would be overcome by their enemies. They would live in turmoil. They'd fight amongst each other and amongst their enemies. And if somebody would rise up, a judge would rise up. They would remind them about God. Things would get better. And again, the cycle would start over and over and over again. So the book of Ruth begins by telling us that this story takes place in the middle of this seemingly endless pattern of the people trusting God, forgetting about God, then finding themselves in trouble, going to war, and then placing all of their trust on God once again and things being restored. Now, this is important because the book of Ruth is hoping to offer an alternative to this endless cycle, but that is a message for a different week, so I'm just going to go past that. So the second thing we can take away from this opening verse, remember, we've just read the first verse. The second thing we can take away from the opening verse of this book is that there is a famine in Bethlehem. And and that's why this man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons choose to leave Bethlehem behind and travel to Moab. Now, why is this important? Well, Moab is one of the enemies that the Israelites tended to be in conflict with during the time of the judges. You see, Moab is where the enemies lived, and there was no reason why any Israelite would want to coexist with the Moabites. There's no reason why they would want to live in Moab or travel to Moab or interact with Moabites. But despite the bad blood between these two groups of people, this family chooses to go to Moab anyway. This decision that they make, it gives us a glimpse as to how bad the famine in Bethlehem must have been. So bad that they were even willing to go and dwell with their enemies, the Moabites. By the way, fun fact, the word Bethlehem means house of bread or house of food, and the author is brilliant here in pointing out the irony that the house of bread, Bethlehem, has no food or bread to offer. I mean, there's just so many little things that are happening in this this uh, uh, this very first verse. So are you beginning to see just how complex and beautiful this story is? We got all of this that we have just talked about from just one verse, the very first book uh, verse in the book. See, there's so much to unpack, so much to recognize and dissect in this story. And honestly, it would take us at least an hour to cover the entire chapter. But you know that we don't have that kind of time here. So let me read the rest of the story for you. And then we'll point out some of the major things about this story. So this is Ruth chapter one, uh, starting at verse two. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they entered the territory of Moab and settled there. So, in case you're wondering, the Ephrathites is used to tell us that Elimelech and his family is somehow connected to King David and his lineage. In other words, the author is telling us that uh, this story is about a family that is pretty important and has some connections to David. And we as the readers now know that there's also some connection to Jesus. So let's keep reading. Verse three. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then only she was left along with her two sons. They took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah and the name of the second was Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years. But both of the sons, Malon and Kilion, also died. Only the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. 
Then she arose along with her daughters-in-law to return from the field of Moab, because while in the territory of Moab, she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. In other words, what's happening here is that the house of bread, Bethlehem, has bread again, right? There's food again in Bethlehem. So verse 7, she left the place where she had been, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Now Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, turn back, each of you, to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. But they replied to her, no, instead, we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there be again sons in my womb that they would be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more, if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for uh, me than for you, since the Lord will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Now, in case this section is confusing to you, it's important to understand that Israelite tradition stated that if your husband died, their next of kin was supposed to marry you and take care of you. Basically, what's happening here is that Naomi is telling Orpah and Ruth that there is no next in line to take care of them. There's no obvious choice of someone that can then provide for them and care for them. And therefore, they would be better off if they just returned home to their mother's house. Right? Uh, Naomi is basically saying, I've got nothing left to give, so just go back to your parents' house. So let's keep reading. This is verse 15. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and more so if even death separates me from you. Now, here's another fun fact. Scholars argue that this section, that these couple of verses are translated completely wrong. You see, our English translation makes it seem like Ruth is choosing to be faithful to Naomi for the first time by assuring her that she will worship Naomi's gods and she will stay wherever Naomi stays and even die wherever Naomi dies. But the Hebrew translation gives us a different perspective. See, instead of saying, where you go, I will go, and your people will be my people, and your God, my God, in Hebrew, Ruth is actually saying, where you are, I am. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. In other words, Ruth is assuring Naomi that the commitment she made when she married Naomi's son still stands true even at that moment, even after her husband has died, and even when there is no next of kin to take care of her. Ruth is saying, all along, your God has been my God, your people have been my people, and where you are, I also am too. Beautiful story, right? 
So scripture then goes on to say, and this is verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. So both of them went along until they arrived at Bethlehem. And when they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was excited on account of them. And the women of the town asked, can this be Naomi? She replied to them, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has returned me empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has deemed me guilty. Thus Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned with her from the territory of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, notice something interesting here. We began this story with a famine in Bethlehem, right? There was no bread in the house of bread. And then we end this first chapter with the barley harvest beginning to happen. In other words, we're being told that things are starting to change, which is a great metaphor for what's coming next in the story. But again, we will leave that message for another day. Now, as you can see, there is so much to this story, and we've only scratched the surface. There, there is one thing, though, that I want to dive a little, a little deeper into, though. It, it's something that once I figured out, my whole perspective of this chapter changed. I want you to listen to verse 8 one more time. Here's what it says. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, turn back, each of you to the household of your mother. And then she says this, may the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. So this is the point where Naomi gives Orpah and Ruth permission to return home and prays that uh, God will deal with them as good as they have done with uh, Ruth and her family, right? Which seems like a pretty nice thing to say, right? You know, Ruth and Orpah, you've been really kind to me. I pray that God will be kind to you, right? It, it's this really nice prayer and it seems nice and it makes us feel good, but there is something so much bigger and special happening here. You see, in Hebrew, the words deal faithfully are translated into the word hesed. Now, like many words, hesed was chosen intentionally in this chapter. And unfortunately, our English language fails to fully capture the beauty of this word. So what does hesed actually mean? I want you to listen to what Catherine Dube Sackenfeld has to say about the word hesed. She says this, in the Hebrew Bible, hesed refers to an action by one person on behalf of another under circumstances that meet these three following criteria. So the first criteria is that the action is essential to the survival or basic well-being of the recipient. So in other words, it's not just like driving up to the corner and you see somebody who's homeless and you give them a dollar or seeing somebody who's hungry or needs a jacket and you give that to them uh, uh, just on a whim. Th this type of action is something that you know uh, is intentional and the other person needs it to survive, right? They need it for their basic well-being. And, and it's not just like a, oh, let me do this. You, you do it very intentional, right? So the second criteria that is needed um, is that the action is done, the action that's being done is done by the only person that can do this thing, right? There's only one person who can provide this action, right? So in other words, um, if you go feed at a, uh, serve at a food pantry, you're not the only person who can serve at a food pantry, right? But if you're somebody who can donate a million dollars, maybe that narrows the pool down a little bit, right? So the 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 second um, the the um, the second criteria is that the act being done can only be done by a specific 
person. Now, I've got to point out, it's not impossible that there be other people, but uh, there's there's no other apparent person who can provide this, at least in the horizon, immediate horizon, right? So the third criteria is that hesed takes place or is requested within the context of an existing, established, and positive relationship between the persons involved. In other words, when you practice hesed towards somebody, you're not doing it to regain their friendship or to regain their trust or because they were mad at you and you hope this makes them happy. There, there is no exchange here. This is something that's happening between a, a positive, healthy, exti- existing, established relationship between two people, right? It's not some random person, right? So again, we go back to the, the idea of like uh, giving a jacket to somebody who needs a jacket. That's just some random person. This is an established relationship, right? So this, this is all, let me explain why this is all important. At the heart of this first chapter, We get the sense that Naomi has gotten to a place where she feels that there is nothing left for her to give to her daughters-in-law and vice versa. In other words, by praying God's hesed onto Ruth and Orpah, what Naomi is saying is that she has nothing left to give, but she trusts that God can provide for them exactly what they need. See, Naomi is telling Ruth and Orpah that no one can provide or care for them better than God can. And more importantly, that the one who they need to place their trust in is the one whom they already have a relationship with and has already extended love and grace and peace and hope and joy and everything else before them. At its heart, what Ruth is saying is that when she has nothing left to give, she knows and she trusts that God's hesed will prevail. My friend Catherine shared a message earlier about how um, in the times when our Savior doesn't seem to be who we think he is, right? She mentioned uh, John the Baptist and him being in prison, and yet Jesus was supposed to free the captives and he was stuck in prison. And she challenged us to trust that when things aren't going the way they're supposed to be, that that we trust that, that God is still at work and that something can happen and that God will do something. And, and I loved her message. Because I think she really encouraged us to trust in God's hesed. See, whatever you're going through, God's hesed will prevail. Whatever struggles you may be facing, whatever fears may lie before you, whatever uh, burdens you may be carrying, God's hesed will prevail. My prayer is that you and I may have the same kind of trust in God that Naomi seems to have in this chapter. A type of trust that when you have nothing left to give, you trust that God can and God will provide exactly what you need. A type of trust that assures you that no one can provide care for you better than God can. And most importantly, a trust that the one whom you are being called to place your trust on is the one one whom you already have a relationship with and has already extended love and grace and peace and hope and joy and everything else to you first. Friends, whatever you are going through, may God's hesed be upon you. And may that hesed comfort you, build you up, and give you the strength when you need it most. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, 
questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.